Amen. Praise Him that He is faithful. Amen. You know, the greatest way that He made where there was no way was the way for you to reach Him. We were lost and undone in our sin. There was no way that we could ever reach Him. There was no way that our sins could ever be forgiven by our own doing. And yet He made a way for you and I to be redeemed, to be forgiven of our sins, to be cleansed and made new because He is so good to us and so gracious. And so um, I do want to share, there was one more announcement that I was supposed to make that I obviously forgot because, well, it's me. Um, And so that's just how it goes. Um, In all fairness, I did remember before my butt got back to that seat over there, but it was like literally as I was sitting down, I leaned over to Sandra and said, I was supposed to announce one more thing. Um, We are, uh, many of you remember last, uh, like late winter into the spring, uh, we did a kids' choir. And so uh, Maria Osborne uh, felt led to open that up uh, again this season. And so starting January, I'm sorry, February 9th, February 9th, uh, we are going to, on Sunday evenings, uh, we'll be having a kids' choir that will be rehearsing on Sunday evenings practicing, and then we'll have some different specials through the next couple of months around different times of the year. And so if you are interested in that, uh, we will have a sign-up sheet again for that next week. Um, And so that is for ages four years old through sixth grade, I believe. Um, And so that will be during our Sunday evening services. If you have children or grandchildren that you think would be interested in that, um, again, please uh, feel free to sign up next week. And that will be going on starting February 9th. Wanted to give you a little bit of time to be able to sign up for that. And so, so looking forward to that and all that the Lord is going to do through that ministry. And so, well, here we are. And we've kind of already alluded to it a little bit. 2020, um, I'm kind of wondering, you know, where my Back to the Future hoverboard is that I can just ride around on. I feel like that should have been here by now. Um, Flying cars probably should have been here by now. Um, I'm not talking about concept cars. I'm talking about I can get in and fly around in like the Jetsons. That would be amazing. But we don't have those things just yet. But we do have a brand new year. And what does a brand new year bring? A brand new year brings resolutions. Right? We bring these resolutions into our lives. We, we have these goals that we believe we're going to set. Um, we start to talk to ourselves and talk to others about what we're going to do and what we're going to accomplish. We'll say things like, you know, we swear we will eat less of this and eat more of that, right? I'm going to eat less of that and more of this. I'm not going to do this anymore, and I'm going to do this in place of that. And I'll never say that again. I'm going to say this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. We start trying to have these goals for ourselves, and we start making these resolutions. We start making these commitments for the new year. And I'm not against that at all, but it got me thinking, if we make these kind of commitments, and I was kind of doing some research here, what if Bible characters made resolutions? It got me thinking about that. What if a Bible character made resolutions? So I came across a couple, and I obviously have to share this with you. Uh, Again, if Bible characters made resolutions. So the first one we have to start with would be Adam. I mean, you always start with Adam. Adam's New Year's resolution for 2020 would be something like this. It seems like everyone is about high fiber. Me, I plan to eat less fruit next year. (laughs) Plan to eat less fruit next year. Mrs. Lott, Mrs. Lott, 
Okay? I actually was telling Sandra and the boys last night in the van that I've come across this list, and Anthony actually nailed this one before I could even get it out. I didn't even tell him. I said, well, don't. I'm not going to tell you. I want you to wait and be in suspense. And so, but he already kind of figured it out. Mrs. Lott's New Year's resolution for 2020. Longing for the past helps no one. Don't look back. Right? Don't look back. Esau. Many of you know the story of Esau. Hereby, his resolution, hereby resolved to draft Fair Trade Act and enforce it. Hashtag say no to stew. Hashtag say no to stew. So if you don't know that story, get into the Old Testament, you'll discover it's, a, it, it, it's really funny once you read the story. Um, David, David's New Year's resolution. Done fighting lions and Philistines, taking a safer job, playing my harp for the king. Hashtag can't lose. Hashtag can't lose. And then the wise men. I felt this was a good one coming right out of Christmas. The wise men. If the wise men were to make a New Year's resolution, it would probably be something like this. This year, we are inventing MapQuest, right? This year, we are inventing and we resolve to create MapQuest, right? We all make resolutions. We all come up with these goals and these ideas. And I want to say it again. There is absolutely nothing wrong with setting a goal. There's nothing wrong with coming to a point of saying, you know what, this is who I want to be. This is who I believe God is leading me to be. These are some things I need to do, some decisions I need to make to get healthier, get, get more account- accountable in my finances, to get wiser with these things. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. There's absolutely nothing wrong with making a goal. However, as a follower of Christ in relation to our walk with him, So as a follower of Christ in relation to our walk with him and the goals we desire to reach, I want to suggest that we need to look to more than a resolution. We need to look to more than a resolution. We need to look to a relationship. For our lives as followers of Christ, we must desire more than making an emotional decision fueled by the changing of the calendar. Let me say that again. We need, I need to hear this. For our lives as followers of Christ, we must desire more than making an emotional decision fueled by the changing of the calendar. This type of resolution is not very resolved in our minds in practical ways over time. This emotional type of decision making is what leads to, and I'm not picking on this, I'm just using this as an example, which leads to gyms being packed from January through the end of February but the normal, regular crowd shows up in March because all the machines are available again. And you might say, come on now. I, I was actually listening to the radio. I think it was last year. And around this time, one of the guys I listened to sometimes, not as much as I used to because it's getting kind of crazy. But anyway, I, I used to listen to a lot of sports talk radio. And this one guy on this one show said that he goes to the gym a couple times a week. But he said from January through the end of February, he will not go to the gym. He won't go to his gym because it's so crowded. And he actually said this. He said, I'll just wait till like the beginning and middle of March and it'll be all open again. And it'll be the regular crowd. And I can go in and use any machine I want because it's half full. That kind of resolution is not resolved. 
When we resolve to do something, we're putting commitment to something. We're saying, I'm going to do this because I believe it's the best thing for me. I believe it's what God has for me. We make these commitments. But nowadays, a lot of resolutions are not really commitments. They're emotional desires that are fueled by the changing of a calendar. And they're not wrong. The decision we want to make probably is good. But why we're making the choice, why we're making the commitment has to be evaluated. Is it just an emotional response? I just, you know, I really feel like I need to do this. But there's no actual desire. There's no understanding of the why I'm doing this. If you don't have the why, you'll quit. You'll just quit. Because, you know what, I don't feel that emotionally charged about this thing anymore. But when it comes to our walk with Christ, I pray we don't look at it like we look at any other area of our life. You cannot look at your relationship with Jesus Christ like you look at any other relationship or any other decision in your life. It is the most important relationship you have that you have with Christ because it fuels everything else we do. The way you handle your finances and the way we handle our hobbies and the way we handle our interests and the way we speak and the way we live and all that we do is an overflow of our relationship with Jesus Christ. My relationship with Jesus Christ fuels everything else that I do in my life. Now, it should, right? But if we're being honest, it doesn't always. It doesn't always fuel everything in my life. But it should because we're followers of Christ. And to be a follower of Christ would mean I would follow Christ. It's so funny to me that when it comes to any other area of following someone or something, whether it be an apprentice-type relationship, a training-type session, anyone would understand if you are training under an electrician and the electrician says, this is how we do this or that, and they show you, and you go up to do it, you're going to do exactly what? What they just showed you. Okay? If David's teaching someone how to fly, and he says, okay, you got to do ABC first. If the person follows his instruction, he's not going to get in the cockpit and go CBA. He's going to do it the way that he showed him. Because he's following him. He's following this example. But when it comes to Jesus Christ and our relationship with him, and by the way, Jesus said, follow me in one way or another, to his disciples more than any other way of encouraging them to be like him. In anything else, we understand, if it's this, I follow that. I do what they said. When it's follow Jesus, it's I don't have to do it, I just got to believe it in my heart. I don't actually have to do what Jesus said. He said, go make disciples. Now, if I follow Jesus, I mean literally follow Jesus, it's not hard, right? It's not complicated. I go and make disciples. But with Christianity today, it's more like I don't actually go and make disciples, but in my heart, I'm making disciples. In my heart, I believe that Jesus said, go make disciples. I've even memorized the passages where he says it. So in 2020, we can't just make another emotional resolution, we need to go beyond that. We need more than a resolution. We need more than an emotional decision in 2020. Last week, we talked about how all those examples in Scripture were changed forever in their purpose by an encounter with Jesus Christ. This morning, my original desire was I was going to talk about our church in Lapeer County and how we can be about the purpose of Christ. And we're still going to get to that most likely next week. And you think I would have learned by now, whenever I say we're going to do this next week, Never fails. God's like, no, we're not. 
No, you're not. That's cute. You can, you can do that, but you're not going to do that. Now, I say that. Uh, many of you know, I've shared this with many people, that I actually sit down, and, uh, and understand when I say this, I sit down towards the end of December and January, and I plan out roughly all of my sermon ideas and topics and where we're going to be for the year. I don't write every sermon. Hear me now. Okay? I don't sit down and write, you know, 50, 50 sermons, including Sundays I'm off. Okay, but I know kind of like praying, okay, Lord, where are we going to be in this time of year? Okay, you're probably going to be about this type of topic or this type of area. Or you know what, we're going to do a study through this Bible book in the summer because we haven't really gone through that book yet. So I'll have this rough idea for the whole year. And then I prayerfully consider, okay, Lord, are you still wanting me to be there? You still want to go there this week? And I'm telling you, Sandra introduced me last year, maybe it was two years ago, to erasable pens. Anybody have erasable pens? You like... Now, I've used junky ones before, but these ones are, like, awesome, okay? We were at a board meeting a couple months ago, months ago, and I was writing something down, and I tossed it to someone. I said, hey, no, I want that back. That's an erasable pen. And they were like, erasable pen? This person comes up to me after the meeting and says, I wrote something, and I took my finger and rubbed on it. I tried to do all this stuff. It never erased, but at the very end, I erased it with the pen you gave me, and it worked. It was great, okay? My whole sermon calendar is written in erasable pen because I want to make sure, Lord, this is how I believe the Bible encourages us to live. Lord, I believe you're leading me this way, so I'm going to set these goals. I'm going to plan, and I'm going to prepare, and I'm going to be a good steward of my time. God does not want you running through life just by the seat of your pants, by the way. He wants you to plan and be ready and prepare and put in effort, but we also need to be ready that when he changes the plan, we're flexible. And so last week I said, okay, we're going to go this way this week. Now, next week, if God wills, that's where we'll be. And I want to talk about how we as a church can achieve the purpose that God has given us as a church. A way that I believe he wants us to impact Lapeer County. And we're already doing it, by the way. I'm not saying we're not there yet. But as I was praying over this this last week, I started thinking, so many people are going to make resolutions and make these commitments. But as followers of Christ, we need to go deeper than that. We need to go beyond emotional resolutions. And so how do we do that? How do I go beyond just a resolution that's charged by emotion? Well, I believe that we choose today, not tomorrow, not next week. We choose today to commit our very lives to Christ in a real and practical way. Not because a new year says we should to be better, to be a better person. I'm going to commit my life to Christ because the calendar changed over and now I need to stop doing that bad thing and start doing this good thing. You know Christianity's never been about doing good or doing bad, right? If you really study scripture, it's not about doing good over doing bad. That is not Christianity. That's works-based religion. That's not what Jesus introduced. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Allow me to bring you to life, transform you from the inside out. The natural overflow of that is to do good and you won't desire to do bad. Let me do that change in you. It's not, oh, I got to do good instead of doing bad. I got to do, do, do. It's, no, I got to trust, trust, trust i got to trust that he's changing me and then surrender and let him change me in a real and practical way. I commit my very life to Christ, not because a new year says we should to be better, but because it is what he calls us to do. So how do I do this? What does this look like? I'm going to look at probably one of the most popular verses, very familiar verses in the book of Romans. And I'm doing this on purpose because I think we read this verse and we just kind of skim right through it. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to go to 1 and 2. How do I practically commit my life to Christ? Now, I know if you're here this morning and you know Christ is your Savior, you would say, I've already committed my life to Christ. Uh, When I was 16 years old, I was saved at 
uh, Camp Chautauqua in Miamisburg, Ohio. And I, I came forward on the second night of the camp, and I, I bent my knee at the altar, and that's just how I felt led to go forward. And, and I knew that I was a sinner. I'd heard the gospel so many times. I, I prayed a prayer so many times. And when I was in sixth grade, I prayed a prayer, and I thought, I'm good. I've prayed this prayer. I've done the religious work I need to do. I'm, I'm in. But, you know, I don't believe I knew what I was praying. I don't believe I had any idea what I was doing, and I don't believe I was converted in that moment. But when I was 16 years old, I was aware of my sin. I was aware of the gospel, and I confessed my sin and received Christ as my Savior. And in essence, I desired to commit my life to Christ. But I want you to understand something. Just because you're saved and redeemed, you still make a choice daily to commit. We should have committed our lives when we received Christ as Savior. God, I trust you as my Savior with my eternal soul. I'll give you the next 70 years or whatever it looked like for you. But every day as a follower of Christ, I truly believe we need to commit our very lives to him. Commit our very days to him. I was reading Warren Worsby. He says every day, this man is a brilliant, was a brilliant man. Every day committed his very day to the Lord well into his later years in life. He said it was a discipline he developed when he was younger. And he said, every day I would spend time with him. I would commit my words to him. I would commit my day to him. I'd commit my plans to him. And I would consciously tell the Lord, Lord, today is your day. This is what I'm planning to do. And I'm going to do these things if you will me to do them. But if you have something else, it's your day. And then we're not surprised then when we see that he was a man that God used greatly with great wisdom and insight. And so we commit our very lives to him. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, verse 2, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray and ask God to open our hearts to his word. Father, as we've read your word before us today, we are all, Lord, I believe, now accountable to it. We cannot plead ignorance. We've heard it. We've read it with our own eyes. We're aware now of the truth of your word, and I pray that as we are aware of it, some in this room have read this verse multiple times. And Father, what a blessing that is to be exposed to the word of God over a long period of time. And so I pray that those that are familiar with this passage, that Lord, I'm not going to pray that you make it new for us because there's, it's, it's the word of God. It, but I pray, that it would, I pray that our minds would be open to it in a new way. And I pray that we'd be exposed to the reality of what it looks like to, to consciously and practically surrender every day to you in this new year. Father, bless now the reading of your word. Open our hearts and minds to it. And I pray, Father, again, if there's someone seated in this auditorium right now, someone listening to this online, that has not personally received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. I pray that they would open their hearts and minds to you for the remainder of this service, that they would, that they would open up the reality to themselves that, that maybe this gospel thing really is true. I pray that they would know that, that their sin carries a consequence and a weight, but along with that reality, there's also grace that has been extended to them, that they could find forgiveness of sins and eternal life, not by doing good or being good, or going to church, but by putting their faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Father, in all these things, and in all these ways, we ask for your wisdom and your glory to be revealed to us. We lift you up, because it's all about you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul suggests 
a truly radical and crazy way to live this life. He suggests and poses a way to live our lives that many of us would consider ridiculous. He says we are to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And so let me just ask you to think about this. You don't need to answer out loud, but what in the world does that mean? There are only two, many consider, living sacrifices in the Bible. There are only two living sacrifices that we read of in Scripture. One is no longer living and one is still living. There were only two living sacrifices in the Bible. And in looking at them, we may be able to understand what Paul is encouraging us to be and how he encourages us to live. So the first example, we're not going to turn there for time's sake, but I'm going to give it to you and then we're going to unpack it in a little bit, uh, is the example of Isaac. Genesis 22, you can jot it down. I encourage you to read the whole chapter when you have time. Genesis 22, we read of Isaac, who is a, considered a living sacrifice. And when we look at this passage, we see it as evidence of Abraham's faith in Genesis 22, which it was an example of Abraham's faith, but it was also an example of Isaac's faith, which again, we'll unpack this in a little bit and talk more about Isaac in a moment. The other example that we read in Scripture of a living sacrifice would, of course, be the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the perfect illustration of what a living sacrifice looks like. He actually died for our sins as our sacrifice in obedience to the Father's will. But he didn't stay dead. Amen? I don't know. Is anyone else excited that Jesus is not still in the grave? Are you excited that Jesus rose again, conquering sin and death, and actually affirming that the Father was pleased with his sacrifice and your sins are now forgiven in Christ? I'm excited about that this morning. But see, the fact that he died for our sins makes him a sacrifice. Then he rose again. And by the way, he's still alive and doing very well in heaven, seated on the right hand of the throne of the Father. And he's doing what for us right now? He's praying for us. See, he's a living sacrifice. He is not a dead sacrifice. He is a living sacrifice. And these are the two examples, really the only two examples we see in all of Scripture that refer to something that we would call a living sacrifice. And so I want to unpack this a little bit and see and maybe discover what was Paul saying? How is Paul encouraging us to be a living sacrifice in 2020? Well, the first thing we have to note is we must die to self. We must die to self. The idea of a sacrifice implies death, something dying or something that should die, will die. Dying to self. You see, through Christ's death, we have already died to ourselves. And we see this again in Romans chapter 6. We unpacked this on Sunday night just a few weeks ago as we've been going through the book of Romans in our study. We should die to self. If we're a living sacrifice, we die to self. When we place our faith and trust in Christ, we spiritually die with him through his death on the cross. We also spiritually rise again. I'm not saying we physically die when we receive Christ. It is a spiritual illustration. This is truly the whole reason for baptism. The whole reason that we practice believers' baptism here as a church is that we believe that when I received Christ as my Savior, that I was buried with him going under the water, and I rise again with him coming out of the water. And this is what Romans 6 talks about, that you now have the newness of life. This is why we as a church believe in believer's baptism. What is believer's baptism? That the Bible encourages somebody to be baptized following salvation. 
because it is an expression, it's an illustration, it's a symbol of their faith in Christ, to be buried and to rise again. So to be a living sacrifice, as Romans 12 encourages us, we must die to self. We've already died to sin and self through Christ, but now that we understand we are already in that state, now I must choose to die to self today. It is an amazing exchange that takes place when I receive Christ as my Savior. We must know and understand, I do not die to sin and rise, raise myself up again in my own power. I am already dead in my sins when I merely receive the gift of grace that is offered, that Christ quickens or makes us alive in him and dead to sin. The amazing exchange that we're talking about here is that before Christ, I was dead in my sin and in my trespasses. Christ comes, dies for me, takes my punishment, dies on the cross for my sin. I receive his gospel and I am given his sinless life and newness of life. I am made new and I get to now experience the glory of the Lord and by his grace, live by grace to one day see him face to face in his heaven. The amazing exchange is that he took your place on the cross. You didn't deserve it. You weren't worthy of it, but he took your place. And if you will put your faith and trust in Christ, he will forgive you of your sins and make you new. John Stott, the great theologian, said this, the essence of sin, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man putting himself where only man deserves to be. This is actually a quote from our men's Bible study that we took this last uh, Bible study session. And I still love the beauty of this, this, this man's words, that I, in my sin, tried to take God's place. But in salvation, it's God who took my place, really the place that I deserve to be. He did not deserve to be on that cross. But this is the reality that when I receive Christ, that I die to sin and I die to self. However, in Christ, I can also then choose, even though sin is dead to me and, and self is dead to me, I can choose to resurrect those old natures. And I can choose to live in sin as a believer. I can choose to make a sin decision as a believer. And even though I don't have to, even though I'm not bound to it, I can choose to do that. And so see, we die to sin and self in Christ, but then we consciously make a choice, as Paul says in Romans 6, to yield our members and our bodies to God, to make a decision that because this is who I am in Christ, I submit myself to Christ. To be dead in our sin is the reality of what Christ does for us, but to die to sin daily is a choice that you and I are given the grace to make. We do this because just... As Isaac died in that day, so we die every day. I want to unpack that a little bit there. Many of you know the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was promised a child, a promised heir that would carry on this beautiful line that would lead all the way to the person of Christ. But Abraham made some decisions that he thought would kind of take the control out of God's hand and he would make it happen. And there's a whole bunch of things that happened from that. But soon God delivered this promised child to Abraham and Sarah, and his name was Isaac. And as Isaac grew, Abraham, I'm sure, was overjoyed and thankful and believed this is the child that God has given me that will carry on this great line, this great blessing that God has promised. Only God in Genesis 22 changes it up a little bit and comes to Abraham and says, I need you to offer that son back to me. I need you to offer your son Isaac to me. 
Now, in that day, what he meant was, I need you to lay your son on an altar, slit his throat, kill your child, and then consume his body with fire. That's what I'm asking you to do, Abraham. Will you do it? Now, remember, this is the promised son. This is Abraham has waited and waited and waited and waited and waited for this. Abraham and Sarah were so old that when God said, you're going to have a son, Sarah's off in the tent and she laughed. That's why his name is Isaac. Abraham laughs too, but we always pick on Sarah for that. I'm not sure. Any women in here, if God showed up today and said, you're going to have a new child, you're going to have a child, would you, how many of you laugh? Any ladies would laugh at that? I don't think so, Lord. Uh-uh. No, okay, not happening. I love you, Jesus, but that's not happening, okay? That's what Abraham said. They've waited for this, and God says, I want you to give them back to me. I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, we always look at it because we know the rest of the story. We know that God intervenes. God rescues Isaac. Abraham doesn't actually kill his son. God sends a ram. God uh, says, don't do any harm to him. Sacrifice the ram instead. Isaac lives. Oh, happy story. Abraham didn't know any of that when he took his son up the mountain, though. Abraham walked his son up the mountain with every intention to kill him and give him back to God. Now, again, we'll say, well, yeah, but Abraham believed God would raise him from the dead because he says, we're going to come back to you. He may have believed that, but he still has to go through the act of killing him for God to raise him from the dead. And we always look at it and go, man, Abraham's faith, I, to trust God that way and to give the promised son back to him. But Isaac's faith, I truly believe, was just as great as Abraham's. Well, no, he was just going with it. He was just a little boy after all. I always think it's funny when we see Abraham and Isaac depicted and it's always like a five-year-old little boy. I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches if you look at the timeline, you look at what's happening before and after and all the ways that Genesis is written, I believe Isaac was actually much older. Isaac was not a small child that was unable to resist his father physically at this point in Genesis. In studying, you will discover that com uh, commentaries have somewhat disagreed on the age of Isaac. There's some debate on this, but most of them are within about a 10 to 12-year range of each other. The youngest that any commentary that I've read would give him is 25. The oldest, he could have been as old as 37. This is not a five-year-old helpless child that was just kind of woefully going along with his father's lead. This was a grown man that could have made a different decision. There are a couple reasons that many believe he was older. The first is that who carried the wood for the sacrifice? Isaac. This is enough wood that when ignited would be enough to consume a full-grown man. We're not talking two or three little bundles. We're not talking five or six pieces of wood. We're talking a lot of wood. Isaac carries that. So obviously, this implies he would have been old enough to do so. Also, when you look at Genesis there following this, we see that Sarah dies. And the age that is given for Sarah in relation to her age when Isaac was born and the reference in Genesis 21 and 22 to some time passing between his birth and now, many people believe he's actually quite older. So why do I say all that? What's the point of all that? The reality is, and the point is, Isaac made a choice to submit. Not because he understood all that was ahead, but because he trusted in his father and in his God. It's a beautiful picture. Isaac trusted in his father, Abraham, and in his God. And because he trusted, he was willing to submit and step out by faith. 
While he did not die physically, obviously we just said that he was rescued, if you will, I believe he did die in one aspect that day. You see, when he willingly laid himself on the altar and was willing to be bound, he died to self. He said, look, I don't think Isaac was skipping up the mountain like, let's go do a sacrifice. I think at some point doesn't even say, I got the wood, you got the knife. I don't see a sacrifice. We were joking about this. Uh, I think it was Pastor Greg and I, after one of the men's Bible studies, when we talked about Abraham and Isaac going through all of the Word of God, we always kind of said, maybe it was even in the study, we said, do you ever wonder what the conversation back down the mountain was like? So wait, something said, you knew you were going to kill me when we came up the mountain? Did mom know you were going to kill me when we came up the mountain? Like, who did, who, what, no intervention here? Nobody stepped up. Mom didn't say, oh, Abraham, you can't take Isaac with you. Um, mom's like, sure, go ahead, boys. Have a great day. You know, you know what Sarah was thinking, don't you? Every mom knows what Sarah was thinking when she sent Abraham and Isaac off that morning. I get a day to myself. They didn't have Hallmark movies back then, but I'm sure she did something to pass the time. Okay. I thought about that again this morning. Pastor Greg talked about home plate. I want to encourage you, go to home plate. I've been a few times. It's awesome. It's worth the $30. It's amazing. But it's funny, Sandra leaned over to me, and she said, is that something you and the boys want to do or would like to do, you think, this year? And I kind of, I said, well, I think it'd be great for all of us to go. You know, you can come too. She said, oh, you know, it's not really my thing, you know. And I said, I know what you're thinking. We'll send John and the two boys away. They'll go to the game, and I'll get a whole Saturday to myself, Okay. She actually said, no, you know what the real reason is. I said, "Uh, yeah, I know. You don't want to spend $30 on it. I got it. Like, I I understand where your mind is at, okay? But when you look at this story here, Isaac willingly laid himself on the altar. He willingly submitted to his father, and he did it without knowing what was coming next. Yeah, maybe he thought God could raise him from the dead. Maybe he believed God was going to intervene and do some great miracle. But the point is, he laid down willing to die for his God. And the reality is, even though he didn't die physically, I believe we see a great picture of him dying to self. He died to his own desires. The reality is, we have no idea what 2020 holds for us. And again, as I alluded to in my prayer, we hope that it is good things that we define as good. And it may be good things as we define as good, or maybe it's good things as God defines as good, which may seem bad to us in the moment. The key is that no matter what we trust or what happens to us this year, we trust in our Father and submit to Him, even though it looks like it may cost our very lives. It may look like it's going to cost our very lives. It may cost us something financially. It may cost us something with our convenience or our comfort or whatever but we willingly submit and say, God, I don't know what's ahead, but I know you're with me. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know you're good. And I know you're there for me. And even if it costs my life, I'm willing to submit myself to you. I'm dying to self. And I don't die physically, but I'm willing to die to self so that I might glorify you. And so now that we kind of understand what those look like, now that we kind of understand what it means to die to self, to understand that reality that we're dead to, to sin and to death, through Christ, and we choose to die daily by submitting ourselves to him, I want to look at how that plays out in our lives, according to Romans chapter 12. So not only do we die to self to be a living sacrifice, but we also live for Christ. 
We die to self and we live for Christ. Go back to Romans 12.1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So the first thing we do to live for Christ, we've died to self, right? We're dead in Christ to our sin. We don't have to give in to sin. Sin has no power over us. I choose to live in agreement with my standing in Christ. I'm choosing to die to self. And how do I then live for Christ? Well, the first thing we do is we give him our bodies. We give him our bodies. Before we come to Christ and salvation, we used and gave our bodies over to sinful pleasures and lust. It's the only choice we could make because it's all we knew. But in Christ, I'm able to give my body to Christ for his glory and his purposes. My hands, think about this now, my hands become his hands. My very hands become his hands, which can serve others and minister to others. My feet become his feet, and they can take me to those that need him and need to hear of his gospel. My lips can now speak of the hope, love, grace, and truth of Christ. And listen, our lips need to speak things in truth and grace. We need to speak about the hope in Christ. And I know in our day and age today, there's not much hope. There's not much hope. I'm telling you, everywhere you turn, it's fear, it's fear, it's fear, it's fear. Can I encourage you something? In 2020, make no decisions based on fear. Make all your decisions on wisdom. I'm not saying we don't use wisdom. We use wisdom, but we don't live in fear. There's a big difference there. I'm wise with what I do. I'm wise in how I live. I'm wise in where I go and and what I give myself to, but I'm not living in fear. There's a big difference there. Man, there's a lot of fear in our world today, is there not? In every area and realm you want to talk about, politically, socially, there's just fear everywhere. We can't go anywhere. can't do anything. It's all, everything's falling apart. Can I give you a little secret here? You're scaring the children, okay? They're freaking out, okay? We're all fear. Everything's fear. Everything is just so, everyone's looking over their shoulder. You're in Christ. What are you scared of? Do you know the Bible says no weapon formed against you can prosper if you're in Christ? As long as you're, have a, God has a plan for you, you're good. As long as you're, God has a will for you, you're good. God is with you and over you. We don't need to live in fear. Again, well, yes, but brother, we got to use wisdom. I'm not saying we don't use wisdom. We need wisdom and we need to be wise of what's going on around us. But it's not fear-based. Man, we trust in the God who is greater. Man, I think we need to be speaking words of hope to our communities this coming year. I think they need to hear Christians saying less hateful things and more Christ-honoring things. I said yesterday to our men's prayer breakfast, we gathered around and I said, you know, it's amazing. The Bible says in 1 Peter, be ye holy as I am holy. That's a crazy thing to think about, living holy as God is holy. But it means living completely separated unto God as God is separate unto himself. Can I challenge you with this this morning? In Christ, you're already holy, and you're being made holy. But I choose, in Christ even, with my actions. Are they holy? Are my words holy? By the way, that includes what you say and what you type. Okay, just so you know. Are my actions holy? Do they reflect my true nature in Christ? I'm not talking about you can't joke around and have fun, but I'm just saying, man, we got to speak things that honor Christ this year. That I give him my body, my hands, my feet, my lips, my eyes. 
What are we putting before our eyes in 2020? What kind of images do I put before my eyes? Am I guarding my eyes for his glory? Because they're really his eyes in Christ. We give him our bodies. Why do I give him my body? Well, here's the reality. It's already his in Christ. My body, your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, if you know Christ. 1 Corinthians, write it down. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. And also because the Holy Spirit dwells within me, Romans 8, 9. You see, the word present here in Romans 12, 1, to present our bodies, it means present once and for all. Present once and for all. It demands a definite commitment of the body to the Lord, used in the same way as we talk about a husband and wife committing to one another. It's that idea that I'm committing to him. It's I am not my own. I am bought with the price. I am his and he is mine. It's a commitment. Paul gives us two reasons here in Romans 12.1. Another reason really why we should present our bodies. The first thing he says is, is the right response to all God has done for us. It is the right response to all God has done for us. He says by the mercies of God, the mercy that God has extended to you, the least we can do is give him our bodies. As merciful as he's been to us. But also he says this is our reasonable service. Another translation might say our spiritual worship. Our spiritual worship. This means that every day is a worship experience when your body is yielded to the Lord. I submit my body to him as an act of worship. Not just my body, but he goes on to say uh, two more things quickly as we get ready to close. Not just do I give him my body, I, I give him my mind. I give him my mind. Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. We give him our mind. Our mind is renewed. The world wants to control our minds, but the Holy Spirit wants to transform your mind. The world exerts pressure from without to control, but through Christ the Spirit transforms graciously from within. Our minds are renewed and consist by consistent time spent where? Before God's Word. God's Word is vital in the renewal of our mind. It is vital that we dwell on the things that he encourages us to think about because those things will lead to peace and joy compared to the fear of the world. You find yourself filling up with fear. It's because your mind is dwelling on all the fear-based things the world is trying to put in your head. What we do is we get before God's word and we read things like, peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. John 14, 27, he gives his peace to you. And I love that he says, not as the world gives, because that peace is fleeting, it's circumstantial, but his peace is consistent and constant. I don't have to fear what tomorrow brings. And we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The word of God, dwelling in the word of God, will renew our minds to think on these things. The reality is that our minds control our bodies. If you want your body to live in submission to the Father, our minds must be in submission to the Father, which means being before his word. The early church in Acts chapter 2, when you read that great list of all the things they were doing, they were going house to house and breaking of bread and prayers and all these things. The very first thing it says is the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. They were before the apostles hearing the words of God, which led to all the fruit we see in the early church. It starts and ends with the word of God. 
But not only do we know our minds control our bodies, but our minds are actually controlled by our wills. So we give him our bodies, we give him our minds, and finally we give him our will. Look at verse 2 there of Romans 12. The renewing of your mind, the second part, the last part there, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is not usually emphasized when we look at these two verses in this passage, but we notice that the will of God is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. His will is not those things because I deem them as such. They are those things because he is who he is. He is God. And I am wise to submit to his will, understanding those things are true. I submit my daily life of will to him. James says the same thing in James chapter 4, verse 15. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Now, I've made this joke before. If you go to dinner with people today and you need someone to pass you the salts, you do not need to say, excuse me, will you pass me the salt if the Lord wills? You know, I think I'm going to wipe my face with this napkin if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, may I have some more soda, please? Pop, I'm sorry, pop, okay? I don't know why. I lived in Missouri for uh, five years going to college. The only thing I took from Missouri is soda. That's all I took. And to this day, I say soda. And all of you Michiganders, I'm a Michigander, by the way, look at me and say, it's pop. (laughs) I know it's pop. I've lived here my whole life, okay? Leave me alone. At least I'm not like those crazy people that call everything Coke. Like, I don't know what that's about. But anyway, when we talk about this, it's not even conscious. Please, and please don't be that person, okay? I mean, if you really feel convicted to say all the time, if the Lord wills, and that's what God is leading you to do, Okay, but don't be that person that shows up and tries to be that guy or that girl that's super spiritual and always has to throw in there, well, you know, if the Lord wills. Please don't be that person, okay? What James is saying is individually, personally, I wake up every morning and I say, okay, I'm going to go to work today and this is my plan. I'm going to do this and this. In our prayer life, we say to God, okay, if you will, I'm going to do these things. It's a personal idea here. It's about we don't boast in all that we can do. We trust and understand we are all doing this in accordance with his gracious allowance. And so this year, choose to submit every goal, every plan, and purpose to him. And then ask for the grace and the wisdom to accept whatever he changes as good and fruitful in our lives to the glory of God alone. So as we begin a new year, we're going to wrap this up and have a word of prayer. Uh, We're almost out of time. We are out of time. As we begin a new year... I want to encourage you the way that Paul begins these two simple verses. I want to encourage you with a simple thing that Paul says here. We see this in Romans 12, verse 1. Look at it again. I beseech you, therefore. I beseech you, therefore. I beseech you. This actually is really the true call of the gospel. The law says, I command you. And while Christ commands us to do some things and to do this or that, I want to plead with you humbly to consider dying to self and living to Christ as you give him your body, your mind, and your will. Will you submit to him this year? And don't wait till tomorrow. Make the decision today. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I'm I'm going to submit today, but in a month from now, I'm going to struggle. Then guess what? In a month from now, you resubmit and you recommit. And every day, you're just saying, Lord, it's your body, it's your mind, and my will, I want to agree with your will. And I beseech, I beg you, I plead of you, will you do that? 
Because I guarantee you, when you make that choice, your life will not be perfect. Everything will not work out great as far as you deem it. But you will live your life to the glory of God, and he will be honored in all that we say and do when we give him our body, our minds, and our wills. Would you pray with me as we have a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, as we have this time of invitation, we pray that you would be glorified and lifted up in all these things. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercies. And I thank you that you offer to us eternal life through Christ. When we offer back to you our lives, when we become and live as a living sacrifice, we die to self and we live for Christ by giving you completely and freely with no conditions. Lord, we are not submitting our bodies and our minds and our wills to you if you do this or that. I'm not giving you my mind if you do this or that. We are fully surrendered because you've already given us eternal life. You've already given us grace and love and mercy. And because of the mercies of God, which we've already experienced and we know to be true, it is nothing for us to merely submit to you. So 2020, Lord, I I pray that it's a year of great submission on our parts to your will and to your way. We ask that you would be glorified in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we're led in a song of invitation? Would you come and maybe commit 2020 to him? Maybe you want to come and pray. Say, Lord, I'm submitting to you all these things. You want to pray with someone? There are those in the front here that would love to pray with you. Please come and respond to what God is doing. Again, whether they're in your seats or if you want to come forward and pray. How are you going to live 2020?